In the days since Hamas's October 7th attacks on Israel, Harvard has faced divisions on campus and national backlash over its response. We've seen allegations of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, threats against students, and a thousand-person rally stretched across Harvard Yard. What's next for Harvard? Tomorrow, Harvard's president will stand before Congress's House Committee on Education and the Workforce. Lawmakers will grill her on anti-Semitism at Harvard as Harvard's top donors continue to fume over the university's handling of tensions on campus. Some have threatened to pull their funding. Others already have. How will the House Committee grill her? How will she respond? Now, our reporters join us to break down what to expect at the hearing tomorrow and how Harvard's donors are reacting in private calls and public conversations. From the Harvard Crimson, I'm Frank Joe. This is News Talk. My name is Miles Herzenhorn, and I'm a Central Administration reporter for the Harvard Crimson. Thank you so much, Miles, for joining us to talk about President Claudine Gay and the recent news that she will be testifying before the House Committee. I wonder if you could tell us just what has happened and how President Gay is involved. Thank you, Frank, for having me back on the podcast. This is President Claudine Gay's first semester as the university's leader. She's brand new to this role, and it has proven to be incredibly tough. She has faced what Harvard Provost Alan Garber called the biggest crisis since he joined the university 12 years ago during her very first semester as president. Just 100 days into the job, this backlash erupted against the university over its initial statement on Hamas's October 7th invasion of Israel. Tell us a little bit about what the university's initial statement said and just why it drew national backlash. People were really upset with the university's initial statement. This statement was signed by President Claudine Gay, Provost Garber, and essentially all of the university's top leadership, including all the school deans. But what the statement did not do was directly condemn Hamas or address a statement signed by more than 30 student groups that held Israel, quote, entirely responsible for all the violence that came after Hamas's attack. So the fact that this statement did not address those things led many people to criticize the university for not forcefully responding to those events. Those critics included former university president Lawrence Summers. It also included U.S. Representative Elise Stefanik, who's a college alum as well. And it set Harvard on a path that has continued to this day, where they have just been unable to shake the criticism from that first statement. So Claudine Gay then is going before the House Committee amidst campus tensions and national backlash. Curious if you could tell us a little bit about the audience she'll be facing there. Who will she be facing and what type of message do you expect her to send? So the hearing which is being held by the House Committee on Education and the Workforce is going to be about anti-Semitism on college campuses. It's not going to be about the statement or what the statement did do or didn't do. It's specifically about the rise of anti-Semitism on campuses across the country. That being said, it is very likely that she will also face questions about the university's leadership over the statement and how Harvard has handled this crisis. The hearing will be in front of the full committee, which means lots of Republicans and Democrats. Unless some members decide to skip the hearing, 
it will likely be a full house. And that audience will include several members of Congress that could ask incredibly tough questions of Claudine Gay. U.S. Representative Lee Stefanik has called on Claudine Gay to resign several times, not once, not twice, but she has repeatedly criticized Gay over the university's handling of the situation on campus right now. She will also likely face tough questions from the Democrats on the committee. Representative Lon Omar is on the House committee. Representative Jamal Bowman is on the committee. These are two progressive Democrats who have been very vocal about Islamophobia on college campuses. And they will likely ask Claudine Gay about why Harvard has not done more to combat Islamophobia. So it will likely be incredibly tense hearing. She is expecting to face very tough questions. One thing that President Gay is also juggling, in addition to backlash from donors, tensions on campus, is the national spotlight, right? Ultimately, she is the leader of an educational institution that sits as a world leader in higher education. Could you tell us a little bit about just what this hearing will mean symbolically for the world of higher education beyond Harvard as well? When Gay was selected to be Harvard's 30th president, she did understand what she was getting into. The leader of Harvard is seen as a leader of higher education in the United States of America, and she was well aware that the spotlight would be on her at various points during her tenure. What she could not have expected is that it would be this soon, it would be this intense, and it would be about an issue this divisive. So this hearing and her appearance before members of Congress will be a major test of her ability to, one, serve as Harvard's spokesperson, and two, show that she can handle really tough questions from members of Congress about this issue. People will be watching. Affiliates on campus will be watching. Donors who have been incredibly upset at the university's response to Hamas's attack on Israel, but then also donors who have had concerns about Harvard's efforts to combat anti-Semitism on campus, will be paying very close attention to what she says. I, I, I believe Claudine Gay understands that this is a moment where she will be able to answer questions that not just members of Congress have, but that people across the country have in terms of how Harvard has been handling this, what is Harvard doing on its campus to combat anti-Semitism. What's important to note about this hearing is the framing. It's being called by a House committee. Right now, the House is controlled by Republicans. And they have framed this hearing in the press release as college presidents to answer for mishandling of anti-Semitic violent protests. That being said, Gay has announced several initiatives at Harvard to combat anti-Semitism on campus. She has formed an advisory group on anti-Semitism. She will work with the group to implement anti-Semitism training and education for affiliates. So I think this will also be an opportunity for her to really demonstrate what Harvard is also doing, because it is possible that she is concerned that there's a perception that Harvard is not doing anything or not doing enough. Um, and I think that she will try to take this opportunity to detail the various the various things that Harvard is in fact doing now after after October seventh. An additional wrinkle here is that Gay is not only facing calls to testify before the House committee, but Harvard is also facing increased scrutiny from the Department of Education, which has opened an investigation into anti-Semitism on Harvard's campus. Tell us a little bit about how that fits into all of this from Claudine Gay's perspective. The Harvard bubble was not strong enough for the university's leadership on Tuesday. In the morning, President Gay is announced as a witness for this House committee hearing. And then hours later, the Department of Education announces that it's opening an investigation into Harvard over allegations that it did not 
adequately address reports of anti-Semitic incidents on its campus. It's very clear that the crisis that Harvard's currently engulfed in, the one that started days after October 7th, is not going away anytime soon. And it's now not just a problem that Claudine Gay has to combat on campus, where she's trying to heal incredible tensions among the faculty, among the students, but it's also a challenge that she'll have to confront in Washington on a federal level, now in two different branches of government. We should note here that this isn't the first time a Harvard president is testifying before Congress. Harvard presidents often fly down to D.C. for any number of reasons, one of which is to offer testimony. But we're in a particular moment now, both in terms of national crisis and in terms of tensions at Harvard. Could you put this in context for us? To what extent this hearing will be an important moment for both Gay's tenure and Harvard writ large? Correct. This is not the first time that a university president has faced the national spotlight. It's not the first time that a Harvard president has faced the national spotlight. Perhaps most notably, Gay's predecessor, Larry Bacow, led a lawsuit with MIT against the Trump administration after it tried to ban international students from remaining in the United States during the COVID-19 pandemic. That was, by Bacow's own admission, an incredibly important moment in his presidency one in which he took a strong stance to defend higher education against what he perceived to be a strong threat coming from Washington. This will be an incredibly important moment for Gay's presidency, regardless of how long it lasts. This is her first chance in an incredibly tough moment to issue a strong defense of Harvard and of higher education. She will face, again, questions about anti-Semitism, but she will also face questions that pertain to academic freedom and free speech on college campuses. Again, in the title of this hearing, they mentioned violent protests. The university has repeatedly said that it is within students' rights to protest peacefully. They've laid out guidelines for how that should be done in a respectful manner. But it is important to note this hearing, which comes before Gay has even reached 200 days in office as president, will be a moment for her to remember, and it will be one that will likely define her presidency not just for the rest of the semester, but for years to come. Thank you so much, Miles, for joining us to break down the multiple sources of fire that are facing Harvard and Claudine Gay. We should add that you and one of our fellow intrepid reporters, Nia al will be in D.C. to watch the House hearing. Best of luck on your reporting and uh, excited to see what you have next. Thank you, Frank. As always, happy to join you on the podcast. And let's see if you invite us after we get back. Thank you, Miles. Next, how Harvard's donors are reacting in private calls and public conversations. My name is Cam E. Kettles, and I cover labor for the Harvard Crimson. Hi, my name is Emma H. Heider, and I cover admissions and financial aid for the Crimson. Thank you, Kim and Emma, for joining us. I wonder if we could start with just what's happened in relation to backlash among donors and over donations to Harvard in the wake of Hamas's October 7th attacks. So a lot of the way this controversy has been covered in the past has been related to protests on campus, how students have been responding. What we did was tackle the other part of this controversy, which was that major donors from the outside were making very public statements. And what we discovered is that the public aspect of donor outrage is really just the tip of the iceberg. 
for what is actually going on behind the scenes. Most of the donors we spoke to sent emails to President Gay, to members of the administration, but never said anything publicly. That is reflected in petitions to stop donating. And that trend, regardless of how public it is, is serious cause for concern for Harvard's fundraisers. In our conversations with donors, we asked them, what was your reaction to President Gay's initial statement on October 9th? And I think there was kind of a range of critiques or a range of responses. I mean, some people thought that the response was too delayed, that it came too late. It was I think a little over two days after the Hamas attacks on October 7th, while some people thought that, no, she should have taken her time because it is a very complex issue. I think overall, the people that we talked to thought that the initial statement was too vague. They thought that it didn't really say that much and that it should have been more unambiguous in its condemnation of Hamas and condemnation of the attacks itself. The other part of this is that the outrage isn't against or in response to the statements in a vacuum. For multiple weeks, Harvard was in the center of very national coverage. And I think what we discovered is that these donors are not on campus, probably don't regularly think about Harvard every day, but you know are now seeing their alma mater on every news site in the country definitely fed a lot of the feelings that you know people express to us. The donors that are pleased with the university's response or at the very minimum aren't angry are not the ones talking to us. But that doesn't mean that the people that have decided to stop supporting Harvard financially, that those donations no longer being there won't matter to the university. Our claims are not that Harvard is losing all of its donors, but we do think the donors that it is losing will hurt Harvard financially. One question at the heart of this, then, is not just that donors are angry and that the funding that will be pulled from Harvard will hurt Harvard financially, but also the communication channels that make these conversations possible in the first place. Could you talk a little bit about the access that donors have to Harvard administrators and just how a lot of this communication went down, how this outrage was communicated in the hours? And days following. I think, as Cam mentioned, one thing that's really important and interesting about how donors engage with the university is that a lot of these conversations weren't happening on Twitter, but they were happening in private phone calls and, and through more private discussions. Harvard groups its donors into tiers based on how much they contribute to the university. You have president's associates who donate $25,000 or more, or dean fellows who donate a million dollars or more. So the more you donate, the more access you'll get to administrators and influential figures at the university. For example, in November at a dinner with donors, President Gay gave a speech that touched extensively on the tensions on campus and the current climate. And that's just one example of the access that top donors have to administrators. But we also see that through more private channels. For instance, Kenneth Griffin called Penny Pritzker, who's a senior fellow of the Harvard Corporation, to express his disappointment with the university's lack of response and urge them to strongly condemn the Hamas attacks. Kenneth Griffin being the donor who donated $300 million to have the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences named after him earlier this year. And part of this is very logical. If you donate a million dollars to anywhere, you're going to want to know exactly what happens with your money. When it comes to political statements, a lot of the people who have either said they're going to withdraw 
A lot of it is explicit political demands of the university to say X, not say Y, impose whatever restriction it is they're wanting on Harvard students. And while the statements are very clearly a method of damage control, at the moment it doesn't seem like the Harvard administration, President Gay, are willing to go the extra step and actually meet a lot of the demands. But at the dinner, November 17th, a lot of President Gay's speech focused on things they were doing. They were increasing police presence. They are launching some initiatives to address anti-Semitism, which have been public, and that they're going to start addressing Islamophobia, although she didn't give specifics about what the university might do. And so those are appeals. Those are two donors to say, we acknowledge this is very clearly a very hard time for Harvard, but the ask was sort of to stay with us throughout that and sort of trust in the leadership that's been there. So we see the influence of donors' access to administrators, not just in the wake of Hamas's October 7th attacks and ongoing tensions in the Middle East, but also in terms of its influence on future capital campaigns. wonder if you could tell us a little bit about just how backlash among donors and outrage among donors might shape the trajectory of Harvard's capital campaigns moving forward. We don't know the extent to which current outrage is going to last and is going to translate into a financial hit. We do know that controversy is bad for capital campaigns. And we know that the people that are responsible for raising the money see this as a concern. It sort of has yet to be seen what this impact will look like. We won't know the extent for probably multiple years. But it's a place of real uncertainty, which is usually not a good place to fundraise from. I think what's important to look at here is the context of past capital campaigns. The last capital campaign, which officially went from 2013 to 2018 and raised a record $9.6 billion, was also no stranger to delays and false starts. The university had originally intended to kind of start the quiet phase of that campaign, which they are courting major donors privately and getting people to pledge certain amounts of money before an official announcement of the campaign. In the Crimson Records, we have articles from then President Summers talking about trying to get donors in 2004. But that after his very rocky and abrupt resignation, the capital campaign didn't even end up launching officially until 2013. So we see how administrative turnover and controversy on campus has delayed previous campaigns. And obviously, it's hard to speculate on what exactly will happen. But it's definitely not a great sign that some major donors have decided to pull funding or have decided to right to President Gay to express their outrage. It's hard to speculate, but I definitely think that the donor backlash going on right now is definitely something they're probably going to be thinking about in terms of long-term planning for future capital campaigns. Thank you so much, Kim and Emma, for joining us to talk through backlash among donors and just what that might mean for Harvard's future fundraising. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Frank. News Talk is hosted by Frank S. Joe. This episode of News Talk was produced by Frank S. Joe, Gina H. Cho, Melanie Sanchez, and Nyla Nasser. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Music in this episode comes from Bia Walfang. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Our president is Kara J. Chong. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. <laughs>